Hey, we've got a great show featuring Bobby Umar today. Going to be talking about personal branding and some leadership. It's a really good discussion, and you're going to hear some good things that be brought out in this that I just think you're going to want to listen to. Are you being defined by other people, or are you running your own personal brand? Let's talk about that in just a minute. And speaking about great brands, how about becoming your own boss, just like you become your own brand? I'm talking about owning a franchise from the folks at Liberty Tax. I want you to be able to give Liberty Tax Service a call because with more than 20 years of business in the business of taxes and franchising, Liberty can help give you the flexibility you need and put you on the road to owning your own business. I love these guys. So reach out to LibertyTaxFranchise.com or let me know and I'll personally introduce you to the CEO, chairman of the board and or a couple of other people over there because they're good friends of mine. So listen, we've got Bobby Umar here. He's he's one of the most prolific heart-based leaders in North America. He's up from Toronto. Here we are in July uh, celebrating America's freedom and Canadian freedom right at the beginning of the month. And this is when we're going live with this particular episode. And so I think it's important for us to talk about how we can make the power of connection. In fact, that's one of the tweet chats that he hosts, which reach over 65 million impressions weekly. And so he's doing an entire new program called a Discover Your Personal Brand experience. And so this is a way for you to be able to focus in on your own personal brand and who you are and to be the best that you can possibly be. So let's welcome Bobby to the conversation. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Okay, personal branding expert. So the first thing I got to ask you is, how do I describe you? Are you a speaker? Are you a marketing person? How do I best describe you? Good question. I'm a professional speaker. I've been doing it for 12 years. And outside of that, you know, I certainly consult, coach, and author things. But for the most part, I've been speaking mostly around the world. You know, I've been a professional speaker for decades and somebody always describes me. I said, well, it depends on what I'm doing at the time, right? Because we're, we're, we're multifaceted. So how did you get into the speaking side of things? Well, you know, I was one of those types of people that uh, had several careers. So I had a career in engineering and then in performing arts. And then I got a career in uh, my post MBA in brand marketing. And throughout all that time, I was always doing side projects where there was speaking or training or facilitation of some sort. And then finally, I was like, you know what? Enough of doing this uh, work for the work for the man. I want to do build my own dream. So yeah. all, the, all the personal branding deep dives said that speaking would be one of the best things for me, and I just rolled with it. And that was twelve years ago. That's awesome. First of all, I'm just I'm still sitting here in in, in silence because you said wait 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 engineering and then performing arts. Yeah, <laughs> I, explain that. Explain that to me. That does not freaking make sense. Well, and that's probably why I I never really fit. You know, I always kind of lost or unfulfilled as a leader for the most part. I had that engineering, math, physics, analytical side, but I also had the creative arts, performing arts, uh, musical theater thing. You know, I sing, I act, I do comedy. And so they never really gelled together. And so actually speaking helps me do that because I get to perform, right, which is actually pretty good. So it's worked out really well now. Yeah, on the speaking side, you get to do a little bit of all that. I mean, it really comes through. And hopefully if you find your, you know, you find your flow of who you are. You know, everybody who's asked me, I was doing a Hall of Fame workshop somewhere. and so somebody was asking me, well, how do you, you know, get good? I said, you, you be good. You have to be good <laughs> in yeah. order to get good. Working your craft. Yeah, it comes with practice. It comes with all those things that you have to do. You just don't like all wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a great 
you know, motivational or keynote speaker. You have to go do the stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What have you found best about this side of the business on terms of the speaking side? I don't, I will, we'll get off onto another subject in a minute, but I'm just finding that interesting that you kind of moved from that other side of it to this side. Well, I mean, there's lots of things. I mean, I think ultimately it comes back to the entrepreneur thing, which is, you know, I have autonomy. I have flexibility. I, you know, as, as a dad of young kids, I have flexibility to spend time with them all the time, which is great. I love that part of my life because, you know, I, I basically go and deliver and I get paid literally for the one hour talk that I do. Now, I can prep whenever I want, but that one hour talk is, what it, is where I make the money. So for me, that flexibility is great. I've had a chance to travel the world. I just came back from Europe for uh, two speaking gigs there, which was great. And for the most part... You know, I love the chance to persuade and influence people and help people with uh, what they're trying to do, whether they're feeling, you know, lost or stuck or they need some help with their business or their personal branding. Uh, you know, that I'm creating, from my perspective, I'm, I feel like I'm creating far more impact than I ever did in a cubicle. Yeah, which is, I think, just just phenomenal in terms of that. When you think about personal branding and what people do, what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make? Well, I would say 10 years ago, people would say, personal branding, I'm not a bar of soap. And, and, you know, and, and they were denying it. But now I think what people are not doing, now that people understand that what it is and they understand what, why it's important, what they're not doing is they're not taking the time to invest in figuring it out. So they're not taking the time to understand what it is, what it is currently, how they can best manage it, how they can actually take their personal brand to the next level. Because ultimately what you want to do is your personal brand, according to Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos, is uh, what they say when you're not in the room. Uh, a thought leadership personal brand is what they say when you enter a room. And what you want to do is you want to get to a point where you know what they're saying when you're outside the room, but also you start to manage what they're saying as soon as you enter. So, I, you know, I always describe a brand as a promise delivered. And, you know, having been a CMO of a you know, multi-billion dollar company and various companies I've, that I've led over the years, I, but I always focus on it's a promise delivered to really get it down to the basics. Uh, so how would you describe what is a brand? Well, you know, you're saying the exact same thing that I talk about. In all my keynotes I've done in the last 10 years, I say a promise, uh, basically your personal brand is a promise. I deliver a need, right? Deliver an experience, deliver a feeling. Mm -hmm. And so it's the culmination of everything you do for people that, you know, are in your network. And so it varies from person to person. Like, you know, the personal brand I deliver to my wife and my kids is different than the one I deliver to my clients. Though, although there are elements that are the same with each of them. You know, they still get my humor. They still get my warmth and energy. They still get my you know, dynamic stuff. So for the most part, yeah, that's actually exactly how I would describe it. Yeah. You know, your brand is something that is there since the day you were born. And if you, you know, if you don't take ownership of it, other people own it because it's based on the perception of others. Yeah, which is always a big thing for a lot of folks. They don't understand owning it and just being it. Do you see people making mistakes and saying, well, I have to look like this or I have to be like this rather than being themselves? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the fake it till you make it mm -hmm. thing because because as soon as you make it, you'll be miserable because you've been spending you spend all your time not being yourself. And so it's like, yeah, good for you. Now you have that cushy job that you always wanted, but it's not really who you are, what you believe in. So that authenticity piece, I think, uh, is a big gap that, that people have. And uh, the other, so, you know, when you're going through the whole process of trying to figure out your personal brand, you have to be honest. You have to be honest with yourself. Like when I did my whole deep dive and I went into my values, one of the things that I you know, valued was status. Now, you know, some people say, oh, status, look at you, you're a snob. But, you know, it's something that was important to me. Other people might value money. Other people might value material things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's 
important though to be true and honest to actually what you do value. And so for me, it's been part of what I've done. So, so what do you mean by status? Let's just let's just delve into that. So, well, great example. So when I worked in brand marketing, my company title, my pro, my title was product assistant, and I absolutely hated it. Just hated it. I felt like I'm nothing. And then you know, one year later, I started my own company. I'm now president of my company, and I meet up with the, my former vice president uh, at my brand marketing company. And now that I'm president, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, super confident, super you know, on the go, and that status changed my attitude, changed my perspective, and it gave me a ton of confidence. But 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 you're no different. No, I know, <laughs> I, absolutely. But for me, like that mindset is a big part of you know what I do as an entrepreneur. You know, you know whether you think you can, or you think you can. You're right. So for me, having that having that status changed in terms of my attitude and how I behave. So when you say status, you now to me, status is related to how other people help define you as well, not what you pick as your title. So it's a title. So you were, you know, literally, you were no different. Well, you might have changed a little bit over some of that time period, but but by and large, you're the same person. You, are you saying that the that the title bothered you that much that it affected you though in that manner? Well, I think the title actually stifled me. So like when I was working in brand, I had that really bad title. I didn't think very much of myself. And so when I was at meetings or presenting something, I wasn't as strong uh, as I could be. And people often wonder, like, why are you so quiet, Bobby? You're like a loud, dynamic guy. Why are you so quiet in meetings? And I just couldn't figure it out. And it turned out that the status and the hierarchy were two things that were kind of throwing me off. Ah, okay. But that makes sense. Was it then when you talk about the hierarchy, then I don't even know what company it is. You don't have to tell us if you don't want to. But was it this culture of the of the company that, that created that kind of? No, because uh, it happened actually in several, uh, you know, in, in my entire corporate career, all Three of my main jobs in corporate, I definitely, because of low on the on the hierarchy and because of my t- job titles, I didn't really feel that I was important and didn't really stand out as an employee. But as soon as I left and did my own thing, yeah, I definitely stood up way more. So how did you reinvent that in yourself then? I'm fascinated by it, Bobby, because you know I don't give a rat's rear end if I'm down digging ditches or you know or working as the CEO. I do know there's a difference. Don't get me wrong. Right. And yeah. I do know that you, you know, one has a lot more things with it, perks, everything else as well. But but at the same time, being who you are is who you are. So I'm interested to see how you made that transformation as part of that. Well, the first thing to keep in mind, though, is that the more happy and the more authentic you are, the more happy you will be. The more happy you are, the more pride you have in your work. So if you are happily a ditch digger versus and happily a CEO, you will be way better in those roles and you'd be very, very happy. Because I chose a path that wasn't really defined, defining my own success, I was a little bit un, 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 unauthentic and I was also a little bit miserable and that also contributed. Right. When I finally when I finally left the corporate world, I did do a dive into different aspects of my values, my skills, interests, my personality traits and things like that. Got some feedback from my network, did a lot of personality assessments. And from that, I was able to assess certain themes uh, that seemed to be fitting all my different career choices that made me happy. and, and what it turned out was that Bobby loves people. He loves nurturing. He loves performing, presenting. He loves persuading, influencing. And he loves diversity. When we put those five things together, those are my top five personal brand elements. Yep. And that helped me decide on 10 to 15 potential roles I could take on. But speaker was the one that screamed out. Well, and speaker, that I can see that when you when you describe those pieces of it while that popped off off the top. Well, listen, let me take a quick break because I want to talk about something that makes me happy. 
and then sure. come back on some engagement because because you're you're on a theme here and I want to get to it. Well, I am happy and I'm I'm going to talk about style for a moment because I'm looking great, I'm feeling great, and I owe it all to the folks at Institu. That's I N S T I T C H U. I owe it to spell that T. I'd throw that in there. So in stitch and then a U. So they customize custom tailoring for menswear for the modern gentleman. I'm talking about looking sharp. I'm going to be taping some new TV episodes this next week out in San Francisco, and I'm going to be wearing you know their shirts, their jackets. I'm telling you, this is this is sharp. I I go get measured. You can measure yourself, and then they get they give you the perfect fit guarantee. I go online. I I, I order it online now. And I get custom tailored suits starting at $4.99 and shirts at $89. This is awesome. I'm telling you, high quality stuff. I, I will tell you, I was paying for custom made clothing, same kind of stuff, you know, three, 4,000 hours a jacket and 400 hours a shirt. And now I'm getting their shirts and I'm, uh, I'm look, every quarter I'm getting new stuff. It's awesome. You should treat yourself. So use the code C Suite NY, that's C S U I T E N Y, and you'll receive two free shirts when you spend $499. And that's from the folks at Institu. Again, we're talking right here on the podcast, All Business with Jeffrey Hazel with Bobby Umar. And he's a personal branding expert. He's been a TEDx speaker. He's been in the corporate world. He's an engineer turned fun guy. And uh, we're talking and speaking about fun. You wrote that 70% of all employees are unengaged in their office, regardless of their pay levels. Tell me about that. Yeah. And actually, the stats have gotten even worse uh, in the late. How could you do? I mean, look, you were in an office. <laughs> look, I, I have offices all over the country. And when I go in, man, I'm in. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the people are dispassionate, unhappy with their jobs. And the numbers have gone as high as 79%, 82%. Uh, according to Holy research. crap. They should get the hell out of them. Well, but there's many reasons. Number one, they follow paths of success defined by the people, their parents, school, society, you know, cor- corporate culture, that type of thing. They create a narrative for themselves where they're like, you know, well, you know, even though my job pays the bills, thank goodness for my wife and kids. Or, you know, I don't like my wife and kids, but thank goodness for my job. And so they create a narrative that fits what they're doing. Well, but, you, but, but by the way, you, I, look, we all have to do stuff. I yeah. uh, Trust me. I mean, you run your own business. I run my businesses. And there are many times, and I'm going to say this, I have to eat shit. I have to, you know, put up with crap I don't want to put up with. Sure. Because it pays the bills yeah. and it, and I got, I need their, I want the money. I got to I need the money. I got to have the money. And so there's times I got to do it, but you know, but you know, p- doing a path to defined by other people. I mean, that's, that's just losing man. Almost, but almost everyone does that. I'll give you another stat. 80% of first year college university students ultimately end up doing something completely different in their career. How do they get there in first year? Well, that could be because they decided they want art history as a major. They got no future in that though, but yeah, that's that's a huge number. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I went I went to engineering because my dad said it was a good idea. I didn't even think about doing it myself. I just kind of went with what he said. Yeah, but the, but that shouldn't define you though, Bobby. Because I mean, look, you're 22 years old, whatever you know, whatever your age was at that time. I mean, I I don't think I want to be defined by what I was like 22. I it's like people ask me all the time, Jeff. Well, what's the biggest thing you ever you've ever done in your life? And I say, I don't yeah, know. But we know that. We, but we know that now because we're older and we're wiser. When I was when I was 20, and, and if you talk to a lot of young people now, 16 to 22, they are set on making sure and having a career set for themselves. They're like, oh no. I'm definitely going to be a doctor. I'm definitely going to be an accountant. I'm definitely going to be an engineer. And they haven't even done the work to understand whether it's something that really lines with who they are. They just that's, mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. They've, they've done that. They're under an extreme amount of pressure to get into university or college, to get a scholarship, to pay their way because of the massive tuition, and then try to find a job to pay off their loan. So it's hard for them. And then when they get in those jobs, then what happens is, you know, five, ten years into it, 
they feel stuck because, well, you know, what else can I do? And well, this is the only thing I'm really good at. And they, their mindset and their narrative that they create is very, very hard for them to shake. And so a lot of people are very fearful of, of leaving the situation that they have. And, you know, part of my job and what I do is to encourage them, listen, there are lots of things you can do. There's lots of things you can go for. There's nothing wrong starting over. Some people start over at 50 and that's totally fine. But we have to start, you know, having those conversations to convince them and to persuade them that it's totally okay to be an entrepreneur at any time in your life or change careers. Yeah, but see, I would hate to think right now if I walked out into my office. Now, do I know there's some people that aren't engaged as they should be? Yeah, I always believe. I always think I'm, I'm kind of a believer of the thirds, you know, Bobby, where a third of the people get it right away, a third eventually do, and a third never do. Right. So I'm always looking to say to the bottom 30, to get your butt up or out. I don't care. And, and some people would say that's hard, but I, you know, I don't look at it as being hard. I, I look at it as getting you to the right place you want to be. And if it's not with me, get you're just dragging me down. So don't don't do that to me either. So what do you think? But so I care about an, a more engaged workforce. What do I have to do to create that? Well, the first thing to do is to actually create an environment where they feel comfortable saying exactly what they think. And a lot, a lot of corporate cultures, you know, don't even embrace failure. They don't embrace mm-hmm. the idea that you can even talk about these things, uh, talk about your concerns and, and things like that. So creating a 360 degree feedback mechanism is very nice having kind of team building uh, type of uh, training and development stuff where both the leaders are there or they're not there can be really beneficial to the team and then you know just taking the time to invest in each person's story nowadays you know leadership 2.0 is about empathy and investing in people so you know having leaders who will invest in who you are and understand you know what drives you what you care about i think would be uh, would go a great great way into creating a better you know, culture as well as people who are happy and they're productive and want to stay at the company so, you know, it used to be, and, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, so that, you, you know, you want everybody in your office, but, you know, I was on the phone with somebody in United. I'm a, I'm global on United. I fly a lot. And so I call into the numbers, but rarely do I ever get somebody on the phone that actually works in a real office. Right. They're all working. And I was talking to some woman from Hawaii, you know, she works from her off home, home office in Hawaii. And she takes calls with all the global customers for United. And I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, and I see that more and more. I always ask people because I'm always kind of curious, you know, like, where are you at? What are you doing? Or, you know, when I'm on the phone with, you know, a customer service rep or whoever, you know, and, and some of these companies just, by the way, just do a great job like Capital One. And I think that those those guys are freaking unbelievable. And but it's kind of interesting. So how do you get that engagement when they're all remote? Well, remote engagement actually is a really hot topic these days because people do, you know, they are working from home or they're telecommuting or whatever they might be doing. Again, I think another thing to think about too when it comes to engagement is having people, uh, checking in with people uh, frequently, like whether it's one-on-one or one-on-many. Uh, number mm-hmm. two, making sure people are clear, uh, aligned on the vision, the mission, the why, the purpose, our objectives. That type of alignment is good because, you know, like right now I, I, started, I started a recent startup called DYPB, Discovery Personal Brand. And right now I have mm-hmm. a team of 12 and we all work remotely. I, I actually haven't met half the people on my team, but, you know, we're very big on checking in. So, you know, I check in with my core leadership team and I check in with the people individually. And, and I do have the odd, you know, in-person meeting or, you know, virtual, virtual Zoom meeting with, with 15 people. But I find those check-ins are really important. Uh, but one of the reasons why they uh, love what they're doing is because they all align with the purpose and vision of what we're trying to do. And when people really... Isn't it kind of weird, work, though, never knowing them? I mean, I, I don't know. I have to think about well, that. Well, I mean, again, the, today's today's knowledge economy, like, you know, you'll meet people and you'll see them too. You'll see their work. You'll see what they're up to. And, you, you know, I see them on video. I see them on Zoom calls. So I feel like I, yeah. I know them. It's not like I hired someone just off a, off a resume because you know, who does resumes anymore? Uh, you know, I basically 
connected on LinkedIn, and then the next thing you know, we had a Zoom call, and I was like, okay, great, this is it, this is it, you're in, and we we move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was on a big call with a CMO of a major company that we partner with at the C-Suite Network, and and two of his people dialed in remotely. One was from Spain, and another one was from somewhere else. And 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 we're all on a video call. It was just kind of you know because we do lots of video calls. I think that's a great way of of linking into people or connecting and seeing. Now we get to see you, right? You're and see that you're engaged. You're in the conversation. So we we video call everything amongst all of our offices. But but in the background here was the the woman's dishes were in the background in the <laughs> kitchen. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. Here we are, you know, putting this multi-million dollar deal and there's some, there's some dishes. There's some dishes. Wait, Jeff, you can't, you can't tell I'm trimming the hedges right now? You don't, you don't even know? That's okay. You know what? I've done that. <laughs> I, I got to Bobby, I got to tell you one time, I was an exec of a, of a publicly traded company in the billions of dollars and, and I went home to South Dakota and, and I, you know, we were in the middle of some, uh, buying some companies, but I, it was my day off, but I was out on the back of a horse. And so I took this conference call and so I had muted it. And then they said, Jeff, well, what's your, what do you think? And then right as I unmuted, my horse neighed. Awesome. You know, like, whoa. Yeah. And, so, yeah, and then there was silence on the other end of the conference call. We had attorneys and people from all over the world. He says no. On this call. <laughs> yeah. I he go, said nay. Well, that's what my ho- yeah, I said, that's what my horse thinks of your deal. That's what I said. <laughs> So it's always kind of interesting to make that happen. So what do you think the most important things that you've learned about leadership development? Hmm, good question. Well, that's why I like to ask these questions. That's, yeah. yeah, man. I, I think the, the most important thing in leadership development is, one, is to really understand that there's leadership within all of us. And it's it's dying for us to, you know, develop itself. Leadership, it doesn't have to be, I made a million dollars for this, or I, you know, hired a thousand people. Leadership can be small things. And every single small thing, create impact as you move along. So, you know, I like to look at every single employee that I work with that as a leader and what, what kind of leadership you know, do they have? What kind of leadership do they aspire to be like? And then how can I then help that? And the second thing about leadership that I'm a big believer in is that the ultimate goal of a leader is to develop new leaders. So when I run personal branding events, when I speak to people, when I work with people, my ultimate job as their leaders to develop them into leaders that I'm quite sure they're capable of. And so for me, that's what leadership development is really all about. So how do you measure a good leader? I mean, we you just talked. We just talked about some people will say, "Well, a million this or a million that." I I think that's a pretty bad way of doing it because yeah. then you know because I I had to sit with a CEO of a, one company one day and he was being he was peeing on the grounds, what I call it, folks. He was marking territory and tell me how big he was. And he's you know run their company's a three billion dollar company. And I said to him, I said, "Nice little company." And he goes, "Well, I don't think you understand." I said, "No, I heard you." He goes, no, no, you really didn't. I said three billion dollars. I said again, it's a nice little, it's a nice little company. And he goes, you, you, you really clearly don't. I said, no, you clearly don't understand. My last marketing budget that I ran, that I ran, just the marketing budget was seventeen billion. So compared to that, you're a nice little company because he pissed me. You know, the guy pissed me off. You know, right. in a way of marking territory. And so, you know, where he might have been a decent leader, he was marking it in different ways. Yeah. You know, and and sh- and and trying to position his success, and and I learned in my career, Bobby. No, no matter how big you think you are, there is always someone bigger, right. or smarter, or faster, or better looking, you know, or uglier, or meaner, or poor, you know. And so I try never to measure my ways, me- measure myself in those ways. So if you're a leader, how would you measure great leaders? Well, first off, I think everyone's leadership passed. His path is different, so therefore the measurements that they would use would be a little bit different. There are certain things that I think that uh, align most leaders when it comes to their 
measurement. One is just your values, right? So what are the things mm-hmm. that you value? One is how what, what your values are, and the other thing is how much value you provide. That's one thing. The second thing is really uh, how you make people feel. I'm a, I'm a big believer that success is all about fulfillment and happiness. And if I create and impact people and make them feel amazing, that to me is a metric of success as a leader. And then, and then of course, you have all your productivity and you know metric sales and you know, those types of things you can use, absolutely. But then the ultimate thing to think about is, you know, if you die today, you know, what is your legacy and story? Will people remember from you? How will they talk yeah. about you? What's your brand? And for mm-hmm. me, that to me is a measurement of leadership as well. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's like one time, and I think I've talked about this in the podcast, I had somebody who said they ran into a former employee of mine, and he, he was a manager of one of my operations, a franchise operation that I had owned and, and started a, a chain and, and uh, sold it and sold it eventually. But anyway, I had this guy as a manager and I had to fire him. And, and by the way, I shouldn't have gave that a punchline away, but I asked that person, what, what, what did he say? And he goes, he, oh, he couldn't say enough great things about you. I said, well, that's kind of interesting because I had to fire him. Right. You know, and of course I fired him and told him it was the worst. He was, you know, this is not for you, man. You know, you won't, you don't see this at the time, but this job is not for you. It will kill you. It will crush you. And this isn't, this isn't your thing, man. And, and so we got to talking and I got him through that. And then it took him a long time before, you know, he would come back to me and talk to me about it because he had to go through that, you know, that personal transformation that he needed to do. But, you know, that's just, that's just part of it. You know, one of the things that I thought was really cool when I was looking at, at you and saying, hey, do we want to have him on the show, was this whole thing about being heart-based. And so how do you lead with your heart but still do a good job in being a great leader? Well, I think when it comes to heart-based leader, it's really all about the values. So there's certain values that I'll have that I employ in everything I do, including empathy, including love, kindness, forgiveness, things like that. How does that manifest itself in leadership? Well, one, I take great care to make sure that I understand how people are feeling and how I can help uh, you know, understand or support those feelings. That's empathy. Number two, uh, I look at love and kindness, forgiveness. That to me, that to me is about supporting as well as allowing for people to try new things and fail and embrace the failure in a, in a culture. That's totally fine. And at the same time, you know, when it comes to results, uh, if you are aligned with the purpose and vision or why of your business or your company or your even your team. There's a love and passion there that's going to feed into productivity and deliver huge results. And so for me, that's how heart-based leadership can really be, to me, the new leadership 2.0. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. So, I mean, the the other thing I want to ask you before we only got a couple more minutes left, but you, you're still doing some tweet chats, and that's a big thing for you. Yeah. I'm just curious about that because, I mean, I can remember doing tweet chats, and but you're still using that as a as a big medium. Why are you still doing that versus, like, say, Facebook Live or something? Well, I mean, I do, I do them all for the most part, mm-hmm. just to be clear. Um, so I, I do tweet chats, yes, although I have scaled back. I only do them once a month versus once a week. But basically, I started tweeting. Yeah, once a week, you can really kill a lot of people. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, so, so for me, like, you know, when it comes to as a speaker, I mean, you have to be creating content. So my content is I do daily videos on LinkedIn every day. So that's one of my main things. Mm-hmm. The tweet chat, yes. I mean, you know, I have a lot of traction on, on Twitter. I have 450,000 followers. So for me, I get a lot of traction with that. It's a great way to crowdsource. It's a great way to demonstrate my leadership skills on a topic. So, uh, you know, once a month, uh, my Power Connection chat, I have got a co-host. They run it too. So for me, tweet. And also, you know, as an, I also now get into influencer marketing. So tweet chats has been a way for me to leverage that uh, as a tool for some revenue as well. So tweet chats, I think, are great. It's like it's like speed dating. It's a, it's a one-hour intensive session where you you can crowdsource tons of stuff and learn an incredible amount of information in just one hour. So I love tweet chats for that. But most of my content 
is definitely live video, and I do that on a daily basis. And then, you know, now Facebook Lives have been kind of uh, tanking a little bit. The, the engagement is now on LinkedIn. You're getting more, people are getting far more views there than they are anywhere else, although I still do Instagram and Facebook as well. But LinkedIn's the, the place to be right now on a social, from a social media standpoint. Yeah, I think it, it's wherever it is that, that is the conversion for you, you know? Yeah, where your target is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, because my, you know, like for the stuff that I do with the C-suite, I don't find, I still don't find them on LinkedIn. They all use fake email addresses. They use their Hotmail or something like that. Right. You know, they don't, they're, they're just not going there live for that kind of information. Now, they'll put a stake in the ground, but, the, you know, it just depends, I guess, you know, for each, each, each audience, wherever. But you got to do them all, as you said before. I think that's well, it. Well, the thing, yeah, the big thing is, you know, know your target is. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, you know, mm-hmm. if you're trying to build a strong thought leadership brand, using social media, you got to pick the levers that, that are going to work best for you. And so for me, the, the reason I do, do LinkedIn mostly now, I mean, yes, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, I'm doing those. But the reason LinkedIn is now is because right now Microsoft bought them a year and a half ago and they're they're basically promoting tons of engagement. So, you know, where I was getting a thousand views on Facebook Lives, uh, you know, two years ago, I'm not anymore. But on LinkedIn, I'm getting two, three, five thousand views on my videos. So for me, that's way better than doing it on Facebook Live anymore. Yeah, I can just remember I made a post on Facebook about bacon one day and I got 500,000 shares. So that's a pretty good deal. I like there you that. go. I like that. Yeah, that's a crazy. So I got to do uh, bacon's good. Yeah, bacon's good. Hey, we'll give you one, one, one last minute here. What's, what's hot for you coming up that you want to tell people about? Yeah, so DYPB, Discovery Personal Brand, is uh, a new startup movement that I started. I, I ran a conference for five years uh, on personal branding, but now we're doing personal branding events all around uh, Canada, but also we're spreading to around the world. So I'm talking to people in different cities to run Discover Your Brand events to help people with personal development and impact. That's one thing I'm working on. And then I've also launched a speaker mastermind group to basically teach people how to become better speakers. And I'm launching that probably uh, in July. So that's the Well, co- come down to the States, you know, like we're like Canadian Canada's pants. I'd love you know? that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I always describe Canada as America's hat, you know. Yeah. So I guess that would make America. That would make the United States at least. Uh, we're all North, we're all Americans, but it would make the it would make the United States like a Canada's pants. I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's more more of a toque, but yeah, hats hats good too. Hats too. There you go. Yeah, I'd love to come down to the U.S. It'd be fun. Yeah, everybody, everybody go look that word up, toque, which means a big stocking cap. That's a Canadian for, for stocking cap. That's right, because it's called up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, my friend, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. We'll have to have you back, and I enjoyed it. It was a great, great discussion right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thanks, Jeff. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. Hey, that was a great show. I just thought it was very, very good. And I, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute because I want to talk about my friends at Litra Health because we spend so much money on so many in so many different ways. Why not invest in some of the most important things that you have, which is your the greatest asset that you have, which is yourself? So I really encourage my fellow C-Sweeters to check out Elytra Health, E-L-I-T-R-A Health. And if you go to ElytraHealth.com, you can schedule an appointment. This is in downtown 
New York in the financial district, you go, you check in, they take you through a battery of tests. I mean, everything. They poke, they prod, they x-ray, they they run more tests than you've ever seen. And instead of waiting for a week, two weeks, three weeks to get them all back, you get them back that very day. And not only you get them back, you can sit down with the doctor and nurses, dietitians, and spend a couple of hours talking about your results so that you can get you where you need to go and protect our biggest, our biggest asset that we have, which is you. So visit elitrahealth.com. Okay. I don't know. What what did you learn? What did you learn from this discussion? You know, first of all, I thought it was really interesting about the number of unengaged employees in your business. But more importantly, I want you to think about how would you describe yourself? How would you describe yourself to others? What labels would you put on yourself? I think that's the thing I ta- thought the most about is, uh, you know, if I die tomorrow, what are they going to say? So take that with you today, right here from All Business. Don't forget to tell other people about All Business right here on C-Suite Radio. This is Jeffrey Hazlett, and you've been listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.